Welcome to Rusk Insights on Rehabilitation Medicine, a top podcast featuring interviews with thought leaders in the field of PMNR from Rusk Rehabilitation at NYU Langone Medical Center and other prominent rehab medicine institutions. Your host for these interviews is Dr. Tom Elwood. He will take you behind the scenes to look at what is transpiring in the exciting world of rehabilitation research and clinical services through the eyes of those involved in making dynamic breakthroughs in healthcare. So listen, learn, and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to another episode in the Rust Rehabilitation Podcast Series at NYU Langone Health. These interviews make it possible to learn about developments in the field of rehabilitation aimed at improving the lives of patients. I am honored to have as today's guest, Dr. Ryan Bransky, who is the Howard A. Rusk Associate Professor of Rehabilitation Research and the Vice Chair for Research and Rehabilitation Medicine at the NYU Grossman School of Medicine. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're most welcome. Dr. Bransky also has appointments in otolaryngology, head and neck surgery in the School of Medicine, and communicative sciences and disorders in the Steinhardt School of Culture, Education, and Human Development. He runs a productive research enterprise encompassing both clinical and laboratory initiatives. His NIH-funded laboratory primarily focuses on wound healing and regenerative approaches to optimized healing in the upper aerodigestive tract. Dr. Bransky is one of only a few investigators to be named Fellow of the American Academy of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery, the American Speech-Language Hearing Association, and the American Laryngological Association. So as with other health systems in New York City, NYU Langone Health was confronted early this year with the enormous challenge of responding to a novel fatal disease that we call COVID-19. Please describe any barriers that have had to be overcome in order to perform rigorous research under such unfavorable conditions. Wow. So totally a loaded question that uh, we can go in a lot of different directions. I mean, you know, the short answer is that research globally was essentially hibernated with the exception of COVID-related research. And so, you know, acutely in, in March, we all kind of collectively redirected our energies towards redeploying and, and reallocating resources towards ensuring that uh, we were taking care of COVID patients the best we could. And so, you know, our, our individual lab programs all kind of shut down and, and we attempted to bind together to, um, to care for this really challenging, uh, you know, the pandemic, which, which was uh, really kind of overwhelming the health system clinically. Regarding COVID-19, what kinds of investigations either were presently underway or do you expect to be undertaken this year at Rusk and also within the broader NYU Langone Health System that involve the two areas of applied clinical research as well as disease-related basic research? Yeah, you know, obviously the priority right now is vaccine development and, and NYU is on the forefront of that um, and with the ultimate goal of mass synthesis and testing to ensure that we can eradicate the, this virus. With that being said, again, that the, the research trajectory has shifted so much over the past several months. Initially, there was this flurry of activity in terms of novel interventions. You know, we were one of the leaders in um, developing convalescent plasma trial, which uh, obviously requires significant kind of administrative oversight 
and then some other novel um, pharmacologic interventions that uh, we were studying in a kind of systematic way. Candidly, right now, you know, we are we have this beautiful problem of of not having many patients in the system right now. You know, obviously, we are are kind of holding on to our bootstraps for fear of there being a second wave. But intervention trials for COVID patients is really uh, quite challenging now, just given the the lack of patient volume that we have. And, you know, funny story. We were, I think, it was early April when we were kind of in the thick of things. And, you know, again, we're all trying to kind of, you know, piece together these protocols to, to help these patients. Meanwhile, obviously, our clinical staff are, are significantly overwhelmed with the patient volume and the overflow. But I was approached by one of my colleagues in Florida about doing some collaborative work on COVID patients. And at the time, I I looked up and, and saw that the county that their hospital was in, I think, had six positive cases. And we decided that that wasn't a great collaborative environment for us, given that I think at that point we had like 1,600 patients in the NYU system and the entire county in Florida had six. And, you know, boy, how the tables have turned. And so, uh, you know, we obviously didn't participate in that collaborative relationship. But, you know, at this point, the, the shifting demographics of COVID have been so profound uh, and again, uh, you know, a, a really good problem to have from a research perspective is that we just don't have a ton of COVID patients in-house uh, to study. And I, and I will say that, you know, the interesting, there's been this evolution, you know, where we shifted from interventional trials for this overwhelming clinical population now to kind of the longstanding quality of life, rehabilitation protocols that are, are, are really much more integrated into the kind of the Rusk framework. Um, you know, obviously, we were, we were some of the, the leaders, uh, our rehab team were some of the leaders in the proning protocols, which are now standard of care. Rusk led initiatives to kind of optimize standard of care in terms of diet and nutrition uh, for COVID patients. But now we're really transitioning to longer-term issues related to morbidity associated with COVID or its treatment. And, uh, you know, kind of at the forefront of that is certainly telehealth. Healthcare has changed significantly, and, uh, you know, we were just reviewing clinical productivity data, and it's really quite interesting that in Manhattan, our clinical volume, it continues to be down. I think that patients are largely resistant to coming into the city, to get their medical care, uh, and actually compared to our other our other non-Manhattan sites within the NYU system, the clinical volume is a little bit down in Manhattan. Uh, you know, I think that telehealth is here to stay, and, and it's a great opportunity to uh, optimize that modality through structured research that's ongoing uh, throughout the hospital. You mentioned an initial thrust was vaccine development, and while the world is waiting for one or more vaccines to emerge, what about the subject of monoclonal antibodies? And they seem to be receiving some attention as being worthwhile as a way of providing an instant immune boost. Is any work being done on monoclonal antibodies at NYU, anywhere in your system? Yeah, institutionally, you know, I think we're exploring all avenues. Uh, I don't know specifics beyond the fact that, 
you know, it, it was interesting timing that about 18 months ago, NYU started this Center for Vaccine Development, and we brought in a really kind of a leader in the field to lead that initiative. I, I don't think any of us saw uh, the acute need for that center and obviously how, how that center got thrust into the center of, of this pandemic. Again, the, the primary focus right now of, of COVID-related research is, is clearly on vaccine development, and, and one would think that antibody, antibody utilization would have to be included in those discussions. So you have a, an incredibly large system with many different components at NYU. So at the beginning of the COVID-19 appearance on the scene and since then, is there anything at the institution-wide level where you're trying to prioritize what you're doing and making sure whatever resources you have are going in the, the direction which you think would most benefit not only NYU, but healthcare in general and the patients that are being treated? Gosh, you know... I you really teed it up for me, and, and I'm not saying this just because they signed my paycheck, but I have to say that the kind of administrative coordination and support that was provided upon that initial thrust, and I'm, I'm, you know, I played a relatively minor role in that, but literally 24-7, I mean, you know, in early March, we were, I was probably on phone calls, conference calls, seven days a week really trying to figure out how, from a system perspective, we would prioritize research initiatives, keeping in mind that, you know, one, we need to have the appropriate oversight for these studies, including the Institutional Review Board and those kinds of things. But we also need to prioritize the studies because, you know, we patients can't be in multiple interventional trials. And so, uh, meanwhile, again, the health system is kind of overwhelmed clinically um, and so there was a tremendous concerted effort to work towards ensuring that we optimized research um, uh, priori- priorities. And you know, this is this is not a trivial issue because I, I, you know, at least initially, I'm not certain that we all envisioned this kind of slow progression of disease geographically. I, I think that we were all thinking like we have this obligation to treat and 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 fix this problem, and and that's what what kind of the attitude that was taken, you know, from the highest levels. You know, Dr. Francois, who's our chief medical officer, was obviously involved in these discussions about how to prioritize trials, uh, which patients should get intervention, which patients should should be put on trials. You know, it's much more complicated than patient tests positive for COVID and gets put on some interventional trial. You know, there are lots of other factors, particularly given the potential morbidity related to interventions. You know, we're looking at both pharmacologic interventions and, and, and non-pharmacologic interventions in terms of even proning or nutrition or, you know, other dietary supplements. And so the complexity of trying to navigate uh, those issues in the context of there being this continual parade of really sick people into the hospital uh, required really profound coordination. And it, it really speaks, I think, to the leadership at NYU and even in, in Rusk specifically that we were involved in, in, those, in that coordination from the very beginning. 
Well, thank you for that lengthy response. And given that a great many of our listeners do not have a health background, they're not health professionals, could you define what you mean by proning so that they'll have a feeling for what that entails? Yeah, you know, one of the key, you know, this is a this is a pulmonary uh, disease, and and one of the keys to improve outcomes we found is actually, particularly when patients are put on assistive ventilation or put on a ventilator to help them breathe, we tend to kind of leave them on their back uh, in the hospital bed. And what we found is that we we were getting much better outcomes if we actually have a proning team that goes through the hospital that actually kind of turns patients over to lay on their on their belly for specific intervals and this this occurs a few times during the day and we find that kind of aggressive proning protocol um, actually led to improved pulmonary and overall general health outcomes you know as you can imagine it requires significant allocation of resources and so again the rusk team stepped up like champions i mean these are primarily physical therapists, occupational therapists that are essentially roaming the halls of the hospital, you know, turning patients over on a regular basis to ensure that they have the best outcomes possible. Along with prioritizing your research endeavors at the macro level, if you go within any specific type of intervention, for example, involving treatment, was there any effort to prioritize a little bit further regarding which kinds of patients you might look at according to demographics. We found out that to a great extent, it's much older patients that are being affected, particularly from a mortality standpoint, gender-wise, males more than females, and race, ethnicity, black Americans seem to be much more vulnerable to the kinds of problems being experienced out there. And then, of course, you already mentioned convalescent plasma and various medications, hydroxychloroquine, and all of these other things that are touted as, as being effective. So there's an awful lot to investigate and try to figure out what really works. So within that kind of general category of treatment was an attempt made to say, well, here's where we're going to put our energies and here's what we're going to try to investigate and come up with some good, solid answers. So this is a really complicated issue that when we were having this acute thrust, uh, we relied heavily upon uh, Arthur Kaplan, who's kind of our, our kind of the leading expert in terms of medical ethics in the world, who also happens to be on faculty at NYU, um, to address some of these issues. Clearly, the racial disparities are, are incredibly problematic. You know, I will say that um, treatment was not prioritized based on race or ethnicity, but uh, there was some stratification based on risk factors, primarily related to um, cardiac risk factors, actually. And so we were one of the leaders to, to identify some key biomarkers that appeared to predict poor cardiac outcomes associated with COVID, and that was a, a, a key independent variable in kind of determining, uh, you know, essentially kind of disease severity uh, and or a prognosticating uh, relative to our kind of thoughts on who was most likely to kind of recover on their own and, and who was not. But this is a this is a really complex issue, and 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 you know, COVID I I think is just kind of um, unmasked uh, some of the significant health uh, disparities in healthcare delivery that are are pervasive in this country uh, with regard to race and ethnicity, and so hopefully this provides you know if we start to look at 
silver linings from this. You know, exposing these types of things can hopefully lead to corrective action. Um, And and we have an obligation to figure out why these health disparities exist and, and then how we can address them productively. It would seem another important element in all of this would be the the time frames involved in research. So you had mentioned convalescent plasma earlier. Once a source of that becomes available, it can be administered to patients, and then over a given period of time, you can see is it actually doing anything to perhaps lower the length of time that they're hospitalized or whatever other kinds of things that you're looking at. So with all of the different kinds of studies that are underway at NYU. Has that been a factor taken into account, the timeframes in anticipating when these studies are going to be completed and that you'll have the results that you'll be able to move on based on what you found? Yeah, you know, you know current vaccine trials are being done in healthy individuals. You know, that doesn't really help acutely assist patients with COVID. And, you know, we were running into obstacles with the plasma project because we had to have patients who got COVID and then got better, and then were willing to go give blood and to be tested again. And then so, you know, we, we're taking a cohort of folks that were, were not particularly well and then asking them to go back to the hospital to give plasma. So, you know, those issues, the, the timing of those were all really challenging. And so that actually shifted the focus, at least acutely, to issues that were more kind of off-the-shelf you know, and, and and that's where, I, you know, I think that the, the, the Rusk team really stepped up in terms of behavioral interventions and the proning protocols and those kinds of things that didn't require that lag time. I mean, you know, it's going to be a while before we have mass distribution of, of vaccine. And even then, that's, you know, obviously not going to help the folks that are sick today. Dr. Bransky, I'll conclude part one of this interview by thanking you for sharing your insights about research being conducted at NYU Langone Health regarding COVID-19. A second part of this interview will be made available on a separate occasion, and our listeners are invited to access it also. Thank you again for joining us. You can learn more about Rusk at nyulangone.org slash Rusk. Also, be sure to follow this podcast on Twitter at Rusk Podcasts.